You're listening to God at a Distance, a teaching series from Formation Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. In this series, we discuss how to move through the fear that keeps us distanced from God in order to pursue deeper friendship with Him. For more information about Formation Church, visit our website at formationslc.com. fascinating experience with greater frequency as of late. And, uh, and, and what it is, is uh, I've noticed that the longer that I am privileged to parent my kids, the more grateful and understanding I'm becoming of my own parents. Um, and, and specifically because the older my kids get, the more I empathize with what my parents had to endure raising me. Um, and I don't, wasn't, I don't think I was like a particularly difficult kid, um, but there's just a lot that goes into raising kids, especially as they get old. Like, for instance, no one really tells you this, but as soon as your kids hit middle school, you basically become an unpaid Uber driver. That's what life feels like. So instead of getting paid, you're just constantly driving and bleeding money from the gas that it costs to drive kids to all of the different things that they have going on. I also think about the endless hours that my parents spent watching me play sports. The amount of time invested in just sitting. I played baseball and football and basketball and track, and they, I, they, they were at everything. And we just got done with flag football and volleyball, and I was like, you guys ready to retire? I feel like you guys had a good run. It just takes so much time. And there's one experience as of late, that has been inviting this feeling more than others. Um, Just about a month ago, we started to teach Ava, our oldest, to drive, um, which some of you have known Ava since she was born, so it's a a sobering experience. Um, She's going to be 15 this year, and so we live in Utah. Now, I I don't know if you've noticed this. I've, I've lived all over the country. I've lived on both coasts and in the Midwest. Utah, by far, has the worst drivers of anywhere I've ever been. It's like the Hunger Games every time you leave your house. So we decided even before she gets her permit, we're going to start getting her some experience so that she'll be comfortable when it's her time to actually be able to drive. And so it's had me thinking a lot about when I was learning how to drive. And I don't know what your experience was like, but um, my mom was the first person to take me out. And my mom only took me driving one time because it almost ruined our relationship. That's all it took. I just remember her being so stressed and on edge. We were like yelling at each other. We were in a parking lot. Like nothing could have happened. And it was just pure conflict. And then we got home and she was to my dad. was like, you can take this kid driving. I was like, I didn't even do any. I didn't hit anything. I didn't drive fast. It just did. It was not good for our relationship. And I remember when that happened as a kid, I was just, I just remember thinking my mom is insane. Like, she has no reason to be, like, so blown out of proportion about all this. I just thought she was so crazy. And then fast forward to teaching my own kid. And I got to tell you, I am far less judgmental and more understanding now that I have had to sit in the passenger seat of a kid learning how to drive. Now, Ava is doing so great, and it is so scary. And the reason for that is, To sit in that passenger seat while your child is learning how to drive demands that you surrender control. And there is very little that is more scary than losing control. And the loss of control 
threatens our core longing for security. If you can think back a few months ago, we did an entire series on these six core longings that God has woven into our souls. And one of those longings is for security. We long to be safe. We long to feel safe. And we often forfeit that experience when we surrender our control. And that poses a very significant challenge to our experience of life with Jesus. We are not in control of our relationship with Jesus. We try to be, and the more control we take, the more intimacy we lose. And so here's the big idea. I want to give this to you right at the outset because we're going to then spend our time looking at every aspect of this. So if you like to take notes or write things down, make a note of this. Our big idea is this. The cost of rest for the soul is surrender to Jesus' care. The cost of rest for the soul is surrender to Jesus' care. This entire series has been about the fear that impedes our experience of intimacy with Jesus. And I've tried to find as many different ways to name and to describe what intimacy with Jesus looks like and feels like. And and this is another way. It's this deep longing for soul rest that we all have. And the cost of that experience is surrender to Jesus' care. And so what I want to do for just a couple of minutes is I want to look at one of the most comforting and attractive invitations from Jesus, I believe, in all of the Bible. And it's attractive, but it is also evasive because it demands surrender from us. And that is painfully difficult for us to actually lay down. And so if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read on, do me a favor and open up to Matthew's Gospel. So this is the very first Gospel in the New Testament. And turn to chapter 11. We're going to be in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And today I just want to talk about the fear of surrender. The fear of surrender. So as you're turning there, I want to just read these verses over you, all three of them. And then we're going to pull them apart one at a time. So listen to these words from Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, at face value, that invitation is very enticing, is it not? And it's enticing because we all resonate so deeply with this description of being weary and burdened. One of the things I try to be very, very mindful of when it comes to Uh, thinking through our time together weekly like this, is that most of us don't come in like walking on sunshine. Most of us come in and we are heavily burdened by the multitude of stresses and uh, circumstances that produce anxiety and fear and worry and question and doubt within us. So we come in burdened, carrying so much. And so this invite from Jesus to offload all of that and to receive rest is so attractive to us, but the experience of it is evasive and challenging. And so let's break this down verse by verse, one at a time, and really try to lean into what it is that Jesus says. So look with me again at verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now think about all that is loaded in there. First of all, Jesus says, come to me. It is so significant that Jesus welcomes us into his presence. 
welcomes us into relationship with him. And it's especially good news if you've ever experienced rejection in any way whatsoever. Like we had an entire message in this series where we talked about our fear of being rejected by Jesus. And this is another great example of why we need not carry that fear. Jesus welcomes. Furthermore, as followers of Jesus, we are to be a welcoming people. There should be no one who is not welcome in our midst because there is no one who is not welcome in Jesus' midst. And so next week when we kick off this new series, A Coal in the Fire, we're going to talk about how welcome is foundational to our faith and to our ability to have formative friendship with one another. And so notice Jesus says, come to me, and he says, all of you. So no one is left out. No one's overlooked. There is none who are not welcome. And he specifically focuses in on those who he calls weary and burdened. And we are all, every person in life is wearied with life's burden, with life's burdens. It's just baked into so much of our experience, which is why his, his invitation, his promise is so attractive to us. In the midst of that experience that we all have of being wearied and burdened, he offers us rest. And this rest that he offers us isn't about taking us out of the work and the labor of life. The idea of rest here carries the idea of renewal of strength for everything that he's called us to which we need because when we get weary, it's easy for us to lose sight of of reality. Like think about if you've ever had a, even maybe just the experience of you had a night or a couple of nights in a row where you did not sleep well and and missing sleep has a degree of effects on all of us, but for me, it's pretty significant. So like one or two nights not sleeping well and I'm two clicks from crazy. And I've had those days where I get to the end of the day and, and it's like I can see no light. I can see no good. I can see nothing but awful inside. And I just, I have moments where I'm like, this is the rest of my life. I will never feel better. I'm always going to be sad and mad and tired and miserable. And then I go to sleep and I wake up the next day and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I was just crazy yesterday. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's going to be okay. Doesn't mean all the problems go away, all the stressors go away, but that rest has a way of bringing uh, a revival to my experience, to my perspective, to my outlook. And this is Jesus' invitation to us, but not just for our bodies, for our very souls. And notice the means of rest, the means of experiencing that rest in verse 29. He says, Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls. So notice that he says, take up my yoke. Now, I think we probably all know what a yoke is. Uh, typically, it is a piece of wood that would go across a, a person's shoulders so they can have evenly distributed weight. Like, imagine carrying like two buckets of water. Or a yoke can be used to keep two uh, cattle pulling in the same direction, and that weight is distributed. But the yoke here is a metaphor for caring or plowing, and Scripture uses it multiple times, and it's always meant to be an image of servitude. And so Jesus is inviting them, and Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to serve him, and to learn from him. Now, in first century Judaism, and still in Judaism to this day, there was a phrase, the phrase yoke of the law, that was common, again, in all of Judaism. 
And there is a book called the Mishnah within the Jewish faith. If you're not familiar with it, my guess, anybody read the Mishnah? Me neither. Okay. But here's what it is. For centuries, the Jewish faith was exclusively an oral tradition, meaning nothing was written down. Everything was passed from person to person orally. And eventually, many of those sayings, much of that teaching was captured and was written down, and it was put together inside of the Mishnah. So in many ways, it's this large Jewish commentary on so much of the law. But it was also filled with rules upon rules upon rules. Well-intended, but it had a lot of rules in it. And this phrase, yoke of the law, appears in the Mishnah. So notice this quote from the Mishnah. It says, anyone who accepts upon himself the yoke of Torah, which is the law, removes from himself the yoke of government duties, the yoke of the way of the world. But one who casts off the yoke of Torah accepts upon himself the yoke of government and the yoke of the way of the world. So this yoke of the law was a very common phrase. So when these people hear Jesus talk about taking on his yoke, they knew exactly what it was that he was talking about. And the law was a significant blessing to the rabbis, but in general, it tended to be a really significant burden to people because every teacher just continued to put more and more and more into this yoke of law that just crushed people under the weight of it. And so Jesus comes inviting them to a new yoke which would have been extremely attractive to them in the same way it can be extremely attractive to us. Jesus fulfilled the yoke of the law, and now he invited them to accept the yoke of grace. And I want you in this to notice how Jesus describes himself. This is one of the only times that we have Jesus saying, this is what I'm like. This is my nature, my character. And notice he says, I am lowly and humble. And he says, I am lowly and humble in heart, which means it wasn't an act it wasn't a gimmick. It was not a once-in-a-while thing. That is who he was, which we're going to talk more about in just a second. But let's finish up in verse 30. It says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So again, people did not find the yoke of Torah easy or light. The religious leaders in Jesus' day had so much fear about violating any aspect of the law that they created all of these additional rules to go around God's law so that there was no way for them to accidentally break God's law. So think about the way that like a castle has walls that protects it. And oftentimes, in addition to that, people would also dig a moat around those walls. It was an extra layer of protection that would keep those walls from ever being violated. And in the exact same way, that is the reason that the Mishnah exists, why all of these extra laws exist. And it wasn't just a then thing, it still happens today. When you hear things like Christians aren't supposed to dance, I don't know if anybody still believes that, but I'm sure somewhere they do. Or one thing I keep seeing on, there's this huge, hopefully you're not super into Christian Twitter because it's a pretty dark space, to be honest. But, but something that has been coming up so much right now is all of these, uh, they're called Theobros, which is great. It's like the worst kind of Christian. Um, but it's all of these guys that are talking about, like, to truly be a biblical man, you must be fit and have a beard. I'm not making this up. I say this as a person who works out and has a beard. That's trash theology, and it's the exact same thing that existed in the first century. It's another way of saying, if you're going to actually be 
a person of God, then you have to do all of these additional things. Anything that you add to what Jesus has said is arbitrary legalism. It existed then, and it exists today, and Jesus invites us out of that and into the yoke of grace. Jesus promises something very different, something that produces soul rest, or what Eugene Peterson in his translation of this verse called the unforced rhythms of grace. And so as I was thinking about this invitation to surrender, and these verses in particular, again, these are, these are some of the most attractive, comforting, like the notion of coming to Jesus and experiencing rest for your soul, like there's something in us that that really deeply resonates with. And so the question is, why, why would any of this scare us? What is there about this invitation that I believe most of the time happens at a subconscious level for us? What keeps us from stepping up and in to this invitation? Here's my theory. I think that this invitation is attractive, again, because it touches this deep universal longing inside all of us. The longing for the soul rest that we only experience when we rest in God. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And so this invitation resonates with us because it, it hits that longing inside of us to be at ease and to be at rest in God. And it scares us because it causes a conflict between that longing and our desires. We have this longing for soul rest, but we desire control. Now, our longings and our desires, that might sound like semantics. They're not the same thing. Our longings are locked inside of us by God. They're the good things that God created inside of us. But our desires are easily corrupted. And so we long for soul rest, but we desire to be in control. And that does not work. Which is why there's a part of this invitation that really resonates with us, and part of it causes us to recoil because we realize, I have to surrender control to actually experience this. And this is why religion resonates so deeply with so many. Religion puts you in control. Regardless of what the religion is, whether it's some Christian version, whether it's Mormonism, whether it is Catholicism, like any stream of Christianity, whether it is any other world religion, it puts you in control. There is very clear rules. Do this, don't do that. I'm in control. If I do these things and I don't do those things, then I am good at whatever religious system I'm a part of. The message of religion is I can. And the way of Jesus says, I can't. So I surrender to the one who can. And as with each of these specific fears that we have discussed in this series, the question is, how do we actually move through them? So how can we move through this fear of losing control and instead move toward surrender? Here's three thoughts for you. Number one, for moving toward surrender is this. Number one is contemplate his nature. Number one is contemplate his nature. Remember, Jesus says, I am lowly and humble in heart. Now, that Greek word that we translate here as lowly means gentle or meek. It indicates to us that Jesus is never, ever harsh with us, which should come as so much comfort to us. 
Furthermore, the notion that he is humble means that he serves us. Just consider that for a second. We absolutely are called to serve Jesus, but you know, he also serves us. He serves us by providing us with comfort. He serves us by providing us with gentle correction, by providing us with support and encouragement. And so if Jesus' tone in your life is not gentle, then you have distorted his disposition toward you. If the tone with which you read Jesus, if the tone with which you hear Jesus speaking to you is harsh and is not kind and patient and gentle, according to his own mouth, that is not who he actually is. And the problem for so many of us is that we don't really have a category for gentle care. If you grew up in a home where you had harsh caregivers, one or both of them, if you have had a pattern of experience, harsh authority in your life, if you've had a, a harsh pastor or spiritual leader, all of that has a way of distorting one's view of Jesus. And so what that means is, that's great stuff for us to deconstruct. Because that is not who Jesus is. That is not what Jesus is like. He is gentle and humble in heart. And so if we are experiencing anything from him that is not that, then it is not him. So first thing in moving towards surrender is we have to adopt this practice of giving an immense amount of time to, to really learn to contemplate his nature, who he is and what he is actually like. But that's not all. Secondly, we really need to capture his promise here. So we contemplate his nature and we capture his promise. Notice that he promises rest for your souls. And again, this carries the idea of our souls being refreshed by him. And we need this because weariness has become the way we live. Think about how many times when someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, it's good to see you. How you doing? Think about how many times we go, I'm tired. I don't remember the last time someone asked how I was and I was like, I feel wide awake. I don't think I've been awake for how old is Ava? 14 years. That's the last time I think I felt awake. There's so, especially after the last few years, there is just so much that it seems no matter how much time off we get, no matter how many naps we take, no matter how many vacations we go on, we just come back from all of that and we still feel tired. And that's because the issue is soul weariness, not just physical fatigue. Our souls are running on fumes. Life in a broken world does regular violence to our souls. And so we are weary and we are burdened and in desperate need of soul rest, which is exactly what Jesus promises us. And so we should expect that Jesus will refresh our souls as we rest in him. So if we're going to move towards surrender, we contemplate his nature, we capture his promise, and then thirdly, we have to choose to trust. We have to choose to trust. So notice he starts with this very simple invitation, come to me. Now, that invitation does not say, come to me and we'll do whatever you want. Come to me and we'll do life your way. We'll have a committee. You and Jesus sit down. You guys can vote on how you do everything and what you think is good. And Like, that's not the invitation. He says, come to me. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Watch how I live. 
follow my way, surrender to that, and you will experience rest for your soul. And what I want you to notice is that surrender is not a feeling, it's a choice. Will we choose to trust Jesus' gentle nature? You might have had experiences in your life that cause you to question whether or not Jesus could be gentle. You might have been sold a picture of Jesus that is domineering and petulant, but that's not who he is. So you have a choice in front of you. Am I going to choose to believe what Jesus says about himself, that he has a gentle nature? Will we choose to trust that he will make good on this promise to give us rest? Will we come to him every single day? Because here's what we tend to do. Think again about this image of teaching Ava how to drive. The last time we did it, we went over to that SLCC parking lot, the school where we met at for the last few years, mainly because it's really big and open. And uh, there's a bunch of highway patrol there, just in case something goes wrong. And so imagine we pull up into that parking lot, and I'm in the driver's seat because we don't let her drive on the road. Um, imagine we pull up, and she goes, okay, Dad, uh, can we switch seats? And I was like, no, no, we cannot, absolutely not. And she says, well, I mean, don't you trust me to do this? And I say, oh, yeah, 100%. I absolutely trust you. Then can we switch seats? No, definitely not. <laughs> See, it's easy to profess trust. It's something entirely different to express it. And it isn't trust just because we say we trust. And it isn't trust just because we have some sort of arbitrary sense of, like, if we are not taking the action that follows the decision to trust, then we are not walking in trust. Trust is a deliberate choice to surrender control. And so when Jesus says, come to me, will we lay down control and will we choose to trust? If we're going to move towards surrender, that happens through the contemplation of his gentle and humble nature, capturing his promise that he will revive our souls, and then choosing to take action to pursue that invitation that's in front of us. And so I just, I want to close this time by reading Jesus' invitation to you one more time. But this time, I, I want to read it the way that Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, if you, you don't know, Eugene Peterson was uh, an amazing pastor, but was also a professor of the original languages. That was his area of expertise. And he literally translated the entire Bible from the original languages into modern language that the people that he pastored used on a daily basis. And I believe that his translation of Matthew 11 is one of the most powerful and beautiful that exists today. And so if you're comfortable, why don't you just close your eyes for a moment, and I want you to just receive these words from Jesus through this fresh language. Hear Jesus saying this to you. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. All right, look up here for just a second. The very first step in saying yes to this invitation is to keep company with Jesus this week. To just simply keep company with him, to sit with him, to spend time with him. And we don't need to complicate this. Take just a couple of minutes to just sit silently with him. Just slowly read through a psalm. Share with him whatever it is that's on your heart. And listen for anything that might be on his heart for you. All it takes is us carving out a little bit of time to keep company with him every single day. And slowly, that time accumulates and our hearts begin to come back to true life. But that doesn't happen apart from surrendering to this invitation. The cost of rest for the soul is surrender to Jesus' care. And so the question is, will you surrender to his gentle care? Let's pray and ask that he would help us to do just that. Jesus, we thank you that you are good, that you are gentle, that you are meek, that you are kind, and that you are patient. Lord, even your correction and your discipline is gentle toward us, and it's for our good and for the rest and reviving of our souls. And Lord, you know that there is much in us that resists saying yes to keeping company with you. And so, Lord, I just I pray that our longing for this soul rest that you promise us would be so much stronger than that competing desire in us for control. And that we would really learn to trust your nature to trust that you will make good on the promise that you have made us. And so, Lord, I just pray that this week would be an opportunity for us to, to in very simple ways, keep company with you. And I do pray that we would hear your voice, that we would hear your heart for us and toward us, and that we would share ours with you. Lord, in all of these six weeks that we have pressed into these various forms of fear, Lord, beneath it all is our deep longing for more of you. And so I pray and I ask that you would continue to draw us deeper and deeper into you. Give us courage to step out and the strength to stay there. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.